0: All right, it's 11 after 10 o'clock. In this hour, of course, we're looking at the literacy rates in the country. Today is International Literacy Day. Where are we uh, when it comes to improving our literacy rates? And what are the biggest challenges um, that people face? I mean, theres um, it's no secret that in our communities there's very little access to books. We know the state of some of our libraries if they even exist in the first place, right? You walk into a library, uh, there barely any books that you can find there or books of interest to young people. And if you don't start that culture from a young age, it becomes so much difficult to try and inculcate it later on in life. Let me welcome Zahira Suma who is Anglo-American's Global Lead on Education and Community Skills. Zahira? good morning to you. Thanks for your time today. Hi, thank you for having me on the show. Let me also welcome Nangomso Mzase, who is the Chief Executive Officer of Funda Wande. Nangomso, good morning to you.
1: Good morning, Aska. Good morning to your listeners. Thank you for having me this morning.
0: I think, you know, we can start just with the basics, right? Where are we um when it comes to literacy rates? And Zahira, I know that you can also speak from a global perspective here, because often we can look at South Africa and think, Well, the situation is so bad, um, without really being aware of how we um how we uh, stand, at least compared to our other counterparts globally.
1: Yeah. So
2: look, I mean I think that um you know there's many reports out there. I think that we don't have to speculate when it comes to, you know, how are we doing on literacy and how, how do we compare against other countries. Um so that we participate in various um you know, national testing or global testing, it gives us an indication of kind of how we're doing. But, you know, put that aside, I think um South Africa is a country that has a lot of disparity. We've got uh, very rich, we've got very poor, and so when you look at numbers and you average them out, um, it doesn't give you the full context, um, right, in terms of, you know, how are we really doing. And in South Africa, we've got, you know, many liquid families, uh, kids who are very literate and the parents who are very liquid. Um, and when you look at the average um, literacy levels in South Africa, um, but you look at kind of the bottom of the log, you've got very poor families, um, you know, low-income uh, status, and even even not as low-income status, but um, literacy levels are very poor in the household, which impedes you to do or access things beyond what literacy just requires you to. Um, it's not just a requirement for education. It's a requirement for functioning. It's a requirement for having access um, you know, being included. Um, and even in this day and age, you know, we talk about the role of technology and we talk about digital literacy. You need to be literate in order to have a level of digital literacy. And um, unfortunately, in South Africa, not just South Africa, is, you know, this is driving exclusion um, in terms of moving forward and being able to access and participate in the economy. Um, but just more generally, I think South Africa is know, a country that, uh, in, in comparison to other countries, has lower levels of literacy. It's, it's not the lowest uh, globally, but it does have substantially lower levels of literacy in comparison to many other African countries and many other countries of similar counterparts like Latin America, Asia, Southeast Asia, etc.
0: I, I think what you're raising, Sahira, about the role of the family structure and what is taking place in the home is such an important point, because often, you know, the issues of literacy and that kind of learning are deferred to schools, right? They defer to whether it's early childhood development, primary mm. high school, and that in and of itself, it's simply not enough.
2: Mm. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Nangam, so let me let me come to you and give you a, a chance to see, to speak sure. about what you have seen. Why yeah. do we have such big challenges when it comes to sure. literacy in our homes?
1: Yeah. Sure, as Kathy, I think um uh, let's probably just take a step one back from that um, mm. to say in the edu- in the South African education system, right? Um, we've abolished systemic assessments, meaning we don't have an idea of how kids are progressing throughout the education system only up until the end in the grade 12 level, right? So it's at the end of high school where there is sort of a, a, a national assessment where we can say, you know, um, kids are doing well or not or whatever the case is. Uh, and as, as far as I'm concerned, that, that's probably even too late to, 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 even, to, to, to even assess. You know, we did have Annals, um, which was the annual national assessment, that um, ran, I think it was between 2012, 2014, that was abolished. Um, and that kind of was in attempt to sort of get a diagnostic thing, or what I often say, a temperature check on where kids are and how well they are progressing throughout the day. So that is one. is that we wait too late to be able to give a, to give an indication for the system how kids are learning. And then, as Zahiri has mentioned, the only way that we can measure um, performance or literacy rates or even mathematical um, uh, 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 or math sort of um, performance, it's only by the use of international assessment, right? So we take part in things like the pro, progress um, in international reading literacy study. We have taken place in the SACMIC, which is, you know, sort of this, um, uh, the, the African-based one. And on the math end, we've got the TIMS. So we kind of rely on these international assessments. And yes, there's a lot of debates about context and, and, and so forth. But at this stage, that, that's the only sort of um, data point that we have to be able to say, oh, kids, you know, reading or whatever the case is. The latest uh, poll that was out was in 2011. Um, and that, 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 um, that 2016 apology um, that, that basically said 78% of kids in South Africa cannot read for meaning uh, in grade four. Which is alarming. I know that recently the polls um, went out for data collection last year, so we're waiting very patiently to see now, um, you know, what is the, you know, where we are. Although, you know, South Africa has been taking place in the poll 2006, we took part in 2011, 2016, we have seen a slight improvement, right? So it's not all dark and and, and, and ugly. Um, We are seeing improvements, but I mean, research that we've done at Reset um, and as well as in Stellenbosch, um, it shows us that if we continue at the small, slow pace that we are, right, um, it probably would take us almost 100 years to get at least all kids in South Africa reaching at least 50% of or average reading um, uh, points, which, which, which is relatively very slow. So just the, on, on the one, on the sort of the stats, what we know and whatever the cases. And yes, these studies are very informative, they tell us the what, and I think now as, as a sector, as education sector, thought leaders, we now really, and as well as policy makers, so forth, we are now trying to unpack the why, okay, and there's many factors, from uh, uh, SESs and social economic status, we know it's a, it's a massive issue. Um, in, 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 in our society. Do you know, the Matthew effect, like uh, Sahira mentioned, the richer, the richer, the poor get poorer, you know. If you place your child in a school where it's with, with raw resources, there's a high chance that they will be able to, you know, sort of like have uh, achieve the academic requirements that will enable them to function as a like an active participant in a society. There's things like, you know, our historical context um, is that Uh, we've invested historically a lot more in understanding how kids learn English, all these pedagogical and approaches. And it's only recently in the last 10 years, um, and thanks to Paul, that we've been starting to dive deeper in how teachers teach African languages, the resources um, that is available, what are the most effective ways. You know, It's not a, a simple of you take Western approaches like English and you apply it to an African concept. So, there's many factors that are contributing to this. I mean, also teacher training. We know that um, you know, um, prior to uh, uh, apartheid, that teacher training was also uh, desegregated dis- um, uh, by race, right? And depending on what race you, you were, also determine the type of training that you received. So there's many things um that that could be a, a cause. But I don't want to boggle down on the reasons. I think now is about high time as a country that we really focus on 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 in in not trying to improve things later on in the education system. Um, foundation phase, uh at least have I've swallowed the I have swallowed the pull in, in saying If we want to make the situation right, we need to take a long-term approach. We need to start in
0: in, in foundation phase. Mm. And we need to prioritize the learning of of African languages. You know, Nangam, so just on the issue of um, mother tongues, right? There was research that was done by the University of Pretoria. And and it's part of a progress in international reading literacy study, right? Um, Uh, The Pulse Report. And there's just one. There's one thing I want to pull out of it, just to to build on on what you what you're raising. And they tested grade four learners and their reading yeah. ability in their language of learning yeah. since grade one. And yeah. it says that despite the requirement that South Africans be taught in their home language until grade three, learners studying in English or Afrikaans had the highest reading achievement, regardless of the language spoken at home. And this shows us the dominance of English and Afrikaans. And I wonder if this is directly associated with what is available for reading in other languages. I mean, can that still be used as, as a reason for why? Um, you know, we are seeing such low literacy levels in mm-hmm. other languages? Sure. i ask Cathy, you know, I probably would say this is exactly why I exist.
1: This is exactly why One exists and this is why we do the type of work that you do. How is it that you are underperforming in your own home language? This is a language that you speak at home with your friends and you get taught with at school, right? And I was part of the Pro 2016 team, and and sort of like it was mind-boggling for me. Um, So, and and there's many interpretations of this. I think, firstly, on 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 a just a pure language status in South Africa, right? Um, Even there was there has been research and studies that have shown that parents prefer to put their kids in English or Afrikaans schools because, you know, it is associated with high quality education. What a pity that, you know, we're still here as a country. And then the second thing is that um, uh, as it is associated with uh, uh, good quality of education, there's this idea of um, language of the economy is English, right? So I think parents, and and I think we can boldly agree to say, you know, English is a global language. If you want to be, you know, active in the economy, et cetera, et cetera, you probably need to be proficient um, um, uh, in, in, in English. Um, and this this sort of policy of ours, it's called the leap policy. The language and education policy, which says kids um, uh, uh, should be should be taught or should be offered the opportunity to be taught um, in their home language from grade one, or grade R, um, right up until grade three. Also, as as a means to sort of bridge uh, or to, to address language inequalities that the apartheid regime has sort of imposed on 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 Africans. So. And 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 I think the the and some of unpacking in these reasons is one um, resources. Okay, so if 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 you look at the number of books that they are available in English versus African languages, we're talking about at least like a third. Although there has been a lot of initiatives, right? There's a lot of uh, organizations, um, Malibali, um, um, you know, sort of. Plaintiff organizations are, are, are actively trying to, to, to work working into addressing this, like resource you mentioned access uh, earlier on, and then the second thing as well, and and I have to go back to this is that typically the schools that have African language, um, home language as as an or as a language of learning and teaching are typically your quantum one to three schools, so these are your North Sea schools. Yet again, uh, then it goes to about your 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 social economic status. Um, and on top of that, we know our research tells us that almost about 70% of kids in the country are in, are in these quantum one to three schools, or alternatively, are learning how to read in African languages. So there's multiple, like I said earlier, on. I mean, there's, there's, there's multiple codes, but I would say that the, the, the language, you can associate language performance to your, your social economic status, one. Um, it's often also associated with quality of education. And then in our context, um, sort of no fee versus fee schools. Um, and yet again, the mappy effect um, gets bigger and bigger.
0: All right. Thanks for that, uh, Nangam. So, Zahira, let me bring you in here. And one of the challenges that has been found is, and especially as we talk about. Um, the issue of languages, home language versus um the, ang- the the language that you're taught in at school is that when we try to understand this issue of reading for meaning is that it's very difficult for many learners to transition from what is described as learning to read as in being able just to physically read out the words versus. Reading to learn, which really requires you to then be able to unpack and and fully understand what it is that you are reading.
1: Yeah. Um, look, we I mean
2: we talk about rote learning versus reading for comprehension, right? Which is a massive issue, um, and that and that is sometimes the crux of the matter when it comes to literacy and when it comes to broader subjects as well. Um, that are based on your levels of literacy. So that is one of the problems that we have. And it also stems back to teacher effectiveness and teacher skills. Um, So I I believe, you know, in a lot of our South African schools and a lot of our rural schools that we have in South Africa, not just South Africa, that teachers are not as effective in teaching comprehension as they are teaching rote learning. You know, we we did a study, not too long ago, where we looked at kind of educator effectiveness and their ability to, to read their literacy levels, their ability to read for comprehension and understand, um, and their ability to teach it to students. And it was a very low level. Um, and this, this is kind of some of where the problems stem from. But, you know, it, it doesn't, it's not a problem that only exists in the primary and the high schools. It's something that stems at a very early age, a very young age. And it just culminates and grows over primary and secondary school. And by the time you're getting to You know, like Mamakunda said, by the time you're testing it and by the time you're identifying it, it's too late. We need to be addressing this, understanding this, and being more effective at an early age. Literacy gets embedded very early on. You start speaking the language, you start reading at a very young age, you know. you see early childhood development levels when you start building your verbal skills and speaking and your communication skills. Grade R, grade one, grade two is when you're building your core literacy foundation and even numeracy foundation. And if we don't establish good understanding, good practice, and, and effectiveness for comprehension at that age, you are continuously working off this, uh, you know, um, inability to do things and or doing it at the wrong level where you are reading for basically rote learning as opposed to reading for comprehension. Mm. Um, And so when we do some of our literacy programs and and many organizations, when we do work around literacy, it is around um, reading for comprehension. It is around really building critical thinking and critical understanding skills, um, as well as also just teacher effectiveness. Um, Because a lot of the times we measure teacher skills, Um, But it's not necessarily the the skills that are important, but it's the effectiveness of how you teach uh, that becomes important around how a learner had learned uh, and whether they've wrote learned versus they've learned for comprehension.
0: We'll continue the conversation in a moment. And of course, um, you know, the question to ask is, what have been the difficulties um, even for you as an adult now when it comes to reading and how much of that do you trace to your childhood, right? As in, do you trace to how early you were exposed to books? If you've had the opportunity of being able to get a higher education, did that increase your appetite for reading? What are the challenges that we are facing in in the country? And I'd like to hear from parents as well, um, in terms of how far you are going to instill a culture of reading with your children. I'll take your calls 86 0 on the WhatsApp line 614 It's 10.30 and Musa has your latest news headlines. Well, today is International Literacy Day, and we are looking at how we can improve the literacy rates in our country. And I suppose just having a broader, rela- a broader conversation, right, about the relationship that we actually have with reading, even in our adult lives. And like I was saying earlier, how much of that is connected to your childhood? We're in conversation with Zahira Suma, who is uh, Anglo-American's Global Lead of Education and Community Skills. Uh, Nangamso Mtsatze Mdaz- is the Chief Executive Officer of Funda Wande, and will also be joined shortly by um, Samantha, who will be able to speak about the situation at an ECD level. Zahira, let me come back to you um, because again, you, you spoke about rote learning, and I just want us to be clear um, in terms of what rote learning is. Is it, you know, I think sometimes people also describe it as as parent learning. So typically, yeah. we can yeah. use your your examples of you know trying to learn the vowels. I-A-E-O-U, you know, and kind of never really transitioning and moving beyond that kind of parrot learning?
2: Yeah, I mean, rote learning is essentially you're reading the words on a page. You know, if the sentence says the top is white, um, you're reading the words on the page I'm looking at it and I could say the top is white. But what's happening cognitively in your mind is you're not processing that information, right? So, your eye is looking at it, um, you're looking at the letters, you're able to spell it out, you put the letters together and you're reading it. Um, but if you ask the child, um, you know, if the if child read a few sentences and they were able to read it and you then had a conversation about um, that paragraph with the child and you said, and you asked them, you know, um, a question in a different way. Um, where they were required to process that information and then answer, that's the comprehension part. So it means that the information's actually being processed, they're understanding it, and they're making sense of it in their mind, and then they're able to relay it back in a different form. That's the comprehension aspect of it. Um, And that's the difference that's taking place. It's reading for understanding and processing, which is comprehension, versus just being able to look at the page or the screen and read the actual word that's rote learning without comprehension
0: samantha massey your project manager at, at the center shoebox legacy fund good morning samantha good morning kathy and good morning to your listeners and the other ladies on the panel mm. it's nice to be here let's talk about what is happening in our early childhood development and the role that that plays in helping children E- eventually, be able to transition from even a point where they're just learning the basic sounds of words, learning, you know, how to pronounce them, to getting to a point where they are reading and understanding the meanings behind these words.
3: Uh, Kathy, that's yeah, um, a, a great point you make, and and so important. And that Santa's shoebox in, with Leg- with the legacy fund. We have worked very closely with ECDs in the underprivileged areas and disadvantaged areas. And what we found is that many, many of these um, education centers in deep rural areas uh, are are merely caregiving facilities. They are there to look after children instead of leaving them at home. The standard of um, early childhood development is not good at all in these centers. Um, a lot of the teachers are illiterate um, and can't speak english for instance so the kids get a meal if if, if they're lucky um, but the learning skills that are taught to them in the most crucial years of their life i mean everybody knows that the most that the first five years of a child's life are the most important years of, for cognitive skills development so if these kids aren't receiving the foundation skills during those first five years, they really lose out when they get into the latter years and the the secondary and tertiary um, stages of their education. So it's so important that that those early childhood development skills are um, taught to the children in those early years and they're not just left to sit and play in the corner on their own. It's so critical.
0: One of the things that we were talking about earlier was the fact that generally we have a government that encourages learning in in mother tongues, at least until grade three. So Mm -hmm. even if you may find that in some of these early childhood development centers, the teachers there don't necessarily speak English well. What is a hindrance in terms of the reading then in the children's own mother tongue?
3: Oh, well, look, I think English is the, the primary language in the country. Um, and I think it's also important for the kids to be able to speak in their mother tongue. But you need to, I think English is very important for the children to, to learn to get ahead in latter years in their life. I mean, and and I'm not saying that they shouldn't learn their own language at all, by no means, but it's so important for the children to learn um, English so that they can get ahead. What we do with Santa Shubak's Legacy when we put uh, a reading hub into a school is we actually put a mixture of English and um, relevant uh, vernacular books into the library as well so that the kids are exposed to both. there needs to be a mixture in order for the children to actually get ahead um, in life.
0: Nangamso, uh, your you views on that? Hello, I, I Nangamso. Uh, hello, can you guys hear yes, me? Yes, yes, I can hear you now. Sure, sure. Sorry about that. Um, so, I mean, look, I think,
1: I think, uh, one. Um DBE now has taken on the ECD sector, um, and it's a sort of shifted, the migration has shifted from social development services into Department of Education. For me, uh, and I'm hoping that this process now, you know, having sort of early uh, ECD under education will sort of um, put pressure to have actual, like, Curriculum in place and programs and so forth. I mean, up until date, the ECD Centre or sector at large was has been has been maintained and uplifted by civil societies, right? Um, so that's the one. The second, the second, the second part is that um, learning in your home language or African language versus English. Um, there is so much. Uh, advantages, right, of mu- multilingualism, bi- uh, bilingualism, so forth. And I think this concept where it's the one over the other, um, you know, it's it's this, in my view, um, you know, doesn't kind of work. I think we know the research that we do is that you need to be able to get your foundations right first in your home language, okay, um, and then it is much more easier to transition. Uh, into any language, whether it's English, Afrikaans, or another African languages. So, you know, this sort of concept of, like, languages acting as, as, as additives to each other. We're um, not subtracting one or the other. Now, the issue then, in, um, like Samantha has mentioned in ECD, very often these are community members um, that, uh, in most cases, don't receive, um, you know, quality quality training. On, on how and uh, you know, how, how to sort of run these programs um, from, from, from young age ECD approach, right? And many cases when, when you haven't been trained as a human being, you often default to how you, yourself, your experience of being taught or being an ECD center. So, and I'm really hoping um, that, you know, we will take very seriously one, the qualification and the training of ECD practitioners. And then obviously two, which is linked to that, the 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 rumination 'cause I think it's almost like they get um almost if I'm not mistaken and, and semantic correct me here you know between four thousand to six thousand a month yeah uh, sometimes so,
3: even less than so sometimes even sure. less and once the once the e c d is qualified for funding from the d b e um often it's only a stipend that the teachers receive, and that is as little as three thousand two hundred rand a month yes um, yeah. You know, and it, so, it, 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 how do
1: you live on that? Sure. So it's these types of things to say. You know, we need to strengthen our system. You know, I mean, just I mean, a stipend They say you you get what you pay. Um, uh, yeah. So 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 I think I think. It's, 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 I hope that there is light at the end of the tunnel. Tunnel by the migration. And um, I know it was a massive part of DBE. Um, and I know they're looking into things like what does the primary resource pack look like, uh, the costing of their... Of these 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 ACD centres. Um, DBE needs to do uh, provisioning for them um, and, and and so forth. So so, um, yeah. So so, the, it almost feels like to me that we're on to the right track, and um, but yet again it's like how long is this going to take us you know like are we gonna be miling over this for another 20 or 40 years yeah, yeah.
0: You, you know I, I want i want to raise the this issue of 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 context and and environment and um, because you know this year's theme of international literacy day is transforming mm-hmm. literacy learning spaces
4: yeah. and
0: in a country like south africa I know that you know both the, the Department of Education and the Department of Social Development have been having conversations around, within our context, how do we make the most of existing centers? So while we may sit and say, well, there's so much work that needs to be done, um, if we are judging these caregivers or teachers, as it were, on a particular standard. They simply don't have the qualifications, they don't meet the requirements. But the reality is that this is where we find ourselves. So how do we equip those teachers? Because these teachers are also mothers in the community, their sisters, mm-hmm. so in mm-hmm. many ways, are involved in the process of raising um raising communities and and so to discard whatever it is that they may bring on the table, um, for me, I, I don't know if that's completely fair, but I suppose the question is, how do we try and empower them to ensure mm-hmm. that based on whatever it is that they already have to offer from their yeah. own learnings, are able to then bring in a culture that better prepares um, many of these learners? For what is really the schooling system, um, and, and not necessarily just for life m- more broadly, Zahira? Mm. Yeah, sorry, can you repeat the
1: question? I didn't get the so, question.
0: So so, 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 that's just the point that that I'm making. How do we equip um, these teachers, the ECD teachers or caregivers, the ones that uh, you know we've mm. just run through the stats where many of them are found to be um not qualified not having the right qualifications to actually yeah. be uh, caregivers or even be considered teachers for, uh, for 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 learners at an ecd level
1: yeah look i mean both at an
2: ecd level as well as a schooling level um, i mean i think qualifications play a role because i think it's how we assist um skill level right i don't think qualification is the be all and end all and i don't think we should be judging effectiveness using a qualification i think it's more about teaching um, teaching teachers and teaching practitioners or equipping them with the ability to be more effective versus just the qualification we have many i mean not all of our teachers in our system are qualified especially our ecd practitioners but simply empowering them with a the qualification isn't going to make them all of a sudden effective, right? When you, if you read, um, if you look at research where it evaluates skilled, uh, qualified teachers, the effectiveness can still be known. So, um, you know, when we, so we do a lot of work. Let, let me talk a little bit about the angle program around ECD, because we've spent a lot of time thinking about this on our ECD side. What do we do? How do we do it? What's really going to drive change? Um, And there's a number of things that we do. We talked about some of the subsidies that ECDs get, and there's a bit of um, work that we do around making sure that ECDs can access the support that they need to to meet, right? And there's certain requirements with that around having certain um, certified teachers or having uh, met certain requirements at an ECD level. But beyond that, it's more about teaching practical effectiveness to ECD practitioners or teachers versus just equipping them with a certification because that doesn't make them effective in and of itself, it just gives you the skill. And what you need to do is you need to take that skill level, the knowledge, a bit further and teach them how to be effective in applying it. So the application of being effective or transferring that knowledge or teaching a child at a young age. That's what's important. It's that application practical knowledge that you have to do. Um, and I think it's about sitting with a teacher, understanding how they teach, watching them role modeling things, and taking them through a journey of um, kind of I do, we do, you do um, approach, where you really teaching them to apply themselves, to be more effective, and equipping them with certain resources. Some of the things that we see in our ECD centers in South Africa is the low level of resources that they have access to or the ability to have resources because of budget constraints or funding constraints. Um, And that there's so many other things that an ECD needs to deal with. but a teacher is limited by what she or he has in their hands or in their classrooms on a daily basis in how effective they can be. And, you know, we've tried to do some of this work over the past year with some of our ECDs, and we've seen the differences made in application with ECD practitioners and having the right resources in the classroom and teaching that practitioner how to use it on a day-to-day basis. So, like Samantha said, it's not just about sitting and playing in the classroom, but it's about actually having a structured program, doing something different every day, having a team, having the resources to be able to take the children through that and building their skill. But the, the practitioner needs to be effective, not just skills. So It's not just about a certification.
0: All right. Let me quickly I agree take,
2: with you, Dave.
0: Uh, Samantha, I'll give you a chance to come in in a moment. Uh, apologies. I just want to take Thomas. He's been holding for uh, some time. Thomas, you're calling in Johannesburg. Good morning.
5: Hi, good morning. How are you?
0: I'm well, thank you, Thomas.
5: Thank you for having me. Was hmm. there a specific question you had for me or was I just to go and introduce the special work that the House of Mofolo is doing today?
0: No, th- Yeah, Thomas, I- I'm I not sure what you wanted to call in about specifically. So, um, you know, the floor is yours.
5: Well, thank you so much for having me. Uh, the reason for uh, my call this morning in commemoration of International Literacy Day was to announce a new project that the House of Mofolo is working on to launch the two new books in classic African literature. Mm-hmm. Thomas Mufolo's classic South African novel, Chaka, and a new title that was written by his firstborn son as well. And these are set to be released on the 30th of this month. So I thought it'd be quite an interesting initiative to announce, seeing that um, National Book Week, which usually should be taking place this month has been cancelled to really take this opportunity to revive that interest amongst this new generation of South African youth about the history of African literature and uh, celebrating the voices of our writers, um, especially those who wrote in vernacular language and understanding those stories that define our history and understanding what lessons we can learn from them going forth.
0: Thomas, do you find that having more books written um, about our history in different languages, do you find that that's sparking an interest, especially in in the older generation? And by here, I mean people that are post-school-going age.
5: I think it's not so much about the history, Mm. but around the events of past times. So I think you know, there's two different audiences specifically looking at, um, you know, more academically inclined audiences, which are interested in learning the past and the history of our country. And then there are those who aren't so much interested in facts and events and key dates, but more so in the actual narratives that Mm. people were telling. And uh, that's really what Thomas Mofalo's work was about. Um, His most famous book obviously being chaka which was published in 1930 the original was written in Sosoto around 1910 but the english translation the first english translation was published in the mid-30s and the book is considered uh what we call um fiction well fictional history in the sense that it tells the story of Zulu, which for the most part, has been mythologized and not Mm. accurately recorded, but uses it in a very creative way to speak to deeper truths about the human condition, such as ambition, Ubuntu, and, you know, those kind of things which made and broke our ancestors prior to the colonial era. And that's the history that I think is important. The stories that define our ancestors and the lessons that they learned from their period in time which we can harness in okay. our generation now.
0: Uh, Thomas, that's absolutely fantastic. Very quickly, tell us how people can get in touch with you if they want to get hold of the the copies.
5: Yes, they can uh, reach out to me directly on my email address. It's chat at m3c.media or they can reach out to me on my website m3c.media. So the book will be launching at Comic-Con this year and it'll be on the blockchain available for uh, African literature enthusiasts who want to own a rare piece of African literature in the metaverse. And in hard copy.
0: All right, Thomas, thanks for that call. Uh, really great to hear the initiatives that uh, he's getting up to. So, that uh, email address, let's chat at m3c.media. Uh, Samantha, let me come back to you. Uh, you wanted to raise something and I had to rudely interrupt you. Go for it.
3: <laughs> um, uh, yes, I agreed with uh, Zahira um, and all the points she was making. And I'd like to just tell you a story about a creche that we've been working with since 2020. Um, in the Bekazulu district of KwaZulu-Natal. Um, and when we started with them, it was literally a mud, a, 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 a mud brick structure that was falling to pieces. Um, and it had three teachers and, and 40 children. And we rebuilt the structure brick and mortar. We put two toilets in, two classrooms, a kitchen, and a six-bay-stroke office, a playground. We fenced it all in. We put a vegetable garden in. So we really transformed that education cent- it from a creche into an Educare Center. We also trained the teachers. Um, and we've stayed in touch with them over the years. And since since building the creche for them, they've been able to um, apply for DSD funding, which is now DBD, DBE funding. Um, so, And we've also... Sent the teachers on, on training courses. So we visited the, the, the crash. We visited them twice this year. And just to see the upliftment for the children and the community over the two years since we've actually intervened and, um, and helped is just incredible to see. Um, and the thing is, the investment in the teachers, um, has a knock on effect to the children, but not just the children of that year these ladies have grown year in and year out. And the, the kids that come through on an annual basis grow with with the, 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 the ECD practitioners. So it's really been a very magical um, experience to see the upliftment, but not only for, the, for Seoul City as an education center, but for the children and for their families and even for the community because through the vegetable garden, through the water upliftment, you know, it's just uplifted the whole community. So there's so much. If you uplift one area of an ECD, it has a, a, a ripple effect throughout the community, mm. which is quite magical to see.
0: And 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 that's such an important point to make, Samantha. That um, you know, we shouldn't be so quick to dismiss what can come out of environments that we look at and we think oh well you know things are falling apart here how can we ever turn it around you know that yes. you can't discard people you can't discard the contributions that they have made that they can make if you haven't actually taken the time um, to 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 help, especially when it comes to imparting some of these critical skills um, that, right. that, that are important. So I, I really love the fact that um, you shared that story. I want to also take some of the voice notes that our listeners are sending through on this conversation.
3: Good morning, Kathy. This is an interesting uh, topic. I love reading and reading for my daughter. And just reading in different languages, like in this course, I also saw two in English. And uh, there's a library that I enjoy visiting, Harare Library here in Kailicha. It's just one of the best libraries. You get books from the whole continent. And I just like seeing, you know, children going there after school, doing their homework. But it's one of the best libraries here in Kailicha. And visiting the book lounge in town and the city library in town. Thank you.
4: Hi, Cathy. Good morning. What an important um, uh, issue in our daily lives. But I think it all starts at home, like you rightfully said, at a very early age. Us as parents should introduce our kids to reading at a very young age. Not only stop when reading a bad story, but really getting our kids from a young age interested in books. But I think what's... Also, a challenge today is technology. Too much TV, too much spending time on our phone screens, which is not good for our eyes. So, yeah, I think we as parents, you need to have a healthy balance uh, from an early age, allow kids to have um, reading time and also having time to watch TV or doing some entertainment on their phones. Yeah, have a good show. Bye. When the lady says get ahead, what what does that mean? You know, because our language teaches the principle of Ubuntu. Uh, We are saying it doesn't matter anymore. What matters is that children must learn English so that they can get ahead. Get ahead of who? How? Why? Why, What is getting ahead? You know, I'm worried there.
0: Samantha, do you want to quickly respond to that? Um, Well, getting ahead, you know, if a child doesn't
3: have the right input in its first five years, then it enters into primary school, the child will enter into primary school behind in terms of its cognitive skills, its literary skills, its numeracy skills. Um, so that child, if, if it doesn't have the right interventions from 0 to 5, when he starts in a normal school curriculum, he will be behind or she will be behind. And it's very, very rarely that that child is able to catch up. They will always um, be sort of on the back foot and not being, you know, you need to get, you need to be able, to, you need to enter your your primary fi- um, school years with the right foundations. and. Too often the kids are lacking
0: this. All right, let me give our other guests, Nangamso and Zahira, an opportunity to give their parting shot very briefly. Zahira?
2: Thank you, Kathy. Uh, yeah, I think, look, um, this is an important aspect for us. I think it's one of these uh, you know, global indicators, global measures, global topics that we all talk about. It's always going to be important for us. I think it changes over time in terms of the role it plays. But it is not, it's not just an important aspect in the education sector. It's an important aspect in kind of just access and participation and inclusion. And we need to get ahead of it. We need to close the gap. I know one of the listeners asked, what does it mean to get ahead? And, and Samantha asked more and more, um, you know, as we become more advanced, as technology takes over, the dependency on literacy becomes even more important because the exclusionary factor. Uh, becomes highlighted even more Um, and it's not just about having meaningful conversations then it's about being able to be literate and being able to participate in a world where for example being technology driven or digital or remote and now more than ever it's important that we close that gap because it's not um, you know it's going to create further disparities all right. And I think we have to also look at more innovative solutions to literacy. I think we have to look at traditional solutions, but I think we have to look at more innovative solutions of how we drive literacy, as well as, um, you know, one of the listeners talked about it starts at home. It is. It starts at home. It's with the parents. It's with the teachers. But it's also with the individual. And how do we equip that individual? How do we resource that individual to drive self-learning, to drive I think we need to attack it from all sides, and I think we need to make it accessible and and, and, um, able and and capable for everyone to be able to address this. All right, (laughs) Zaheera, I'm
0: going to have to pause you there. Unfortunately, we're completely out of time for this conversation. Let me thank all our guests who've uh, contributed within the last hour. It's just after 11 o'clock, time for your latest news.